you folks make it easy to minister here. You know, it's a wonderful community. Very thankful to be uh, invited and given the opportunity to share. So, yeah, interesting. Fear, anxiety. We've talked about uh, depression as well. Uh, we've talked about codependence. We've talked about addiction to a certain extent. And it's interesting that the word stigma was used. You know, it's as, it's as if in some cultures, our culture in particular, you know, Western culture, uh, technologically advanced culture, educated culture, a culture that values reason, uh, self-control, those kinds of things, that if you're down, if you're nervous, if you struggle with dependencies on things that maybe aren't in your best interest, there's stigma. And so it'd be interesting to take a survey of how many people in the room have never felt down <laughs> or nervous, anxious even, maybe afraid. Nobody here, I'm sure, has ever struggled with an unhealthy dependence on a thing, a person, right? Stigma. Interesting, isn't it? Keeps us all kind of uh, partitioned off from one another. Yeah? Sort of boxed in, left alone with our fears. And that's not what God wants. God doesn't leave us alone. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. God doesn't leave us alone. And I love some of the things I'm hearing and seeing in this community. The Spirit is encouraging us to reach out to Him, to God, to one another, to be real, to be honest. Okay? There was a, a song we were singing, I'm Not Afraid. And it's a good song. And because of what Jesus has done, we need not fear the judgment of God. Jesus has taken our sins away. We are loved. We're invited into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And at the same time, we may be called upon to do things that initially frighten us. So I was, you know, standing here saying, singing, I am not afraid. And in one sense that was true. Because I'm not afraid thanks to Jesus, to stand in the presence of God. It's a beautiful, wonderful privilege. And every time I really try to think about it, I'm absolutely humbled and honored by what God has done. But I'm scared of public speaking. I'm scared of public speaking. Okay? My uh, daughter was talking about a survey that uh, was recently taken. I don't remember the details. I wasn't actually planning to ever talk about it, but here I go anyway. Uh, was, I think it was something about 75% of the people who responded to this one survey said that they were more afraid of public speaking than death. And I'm not sure, obviously they've never experienced death. <laughs> they wouldn't be taking the survey. Uh, so I don't know if their perceptions were realistic or not. But we do have fears, all of us I think at times. Human beings, 
typically feel fear or anxiety in the face of something they perceive as overwhelming or threatening, either to them or to someone or something that they value. And anxiety tends to increase if people perceive their own resources as inadequate to cope with the threat. Sometimes a threat is present and realistic. Sometimes it's merely perceived. And I'd like to talk about uh, both kinds of threats. Okay, threats that are truly dangerous. I used to deliver the paper. There were large animals living at people's homes. And for some reason, they had some issue with the person who delivered the mail. <laughs> That's not just in comic books. <laughs> okay, it's, a, it's an actual thing. And so I had some real fears about that. And then uh, we have fears that aren't justified. Yeah, Like sometimes you'll think this fear of public speaking, for instance. If you say one wrong thing, everyone will hate you. It's probably not true that everyone, <laughs> right, <laughs> will hate you. That sometimes we, we inflate the danger. Yeah? We overestimate the threat that's posed to us by certain things. And at the same time, we underestimate our resources that we have to cope. Sometimes our overestimations of threats and our underestimations of our resources are colored or influenced by past experience. Okay? That old saying, once bitten, twice shy. Anxiety can also increase as we assume responsibility for things that are truly beyond our control. Or if we attempt to tackle too many of our own responsibilities all at the same time. And you'll notice I'm drawing some information from the Bible, of course. Uh, I'm drawing some from psychological texts that I found helpful uh, throughout our careers as counselors. Dealing with fear and anxiety in the face of real threats. I'd like to talk about Moses. Moses is a very well-known uh, biblical character, a hero of faith, and he was afraid. Why was he afraid? His people were enslaved and had been treated cruelly. Different portions of the Bible, Old and New Testament, talk about Israel being taken captive uh, in Egypt, being very badly mistreated. Uh, and Moses was called by God to confront that. Moses had also committed murder. He had killed somebody when he was in Egypt and he saw that Israelites were being mistreated, there was one time where he acted out against that oppression and an Egyptian was killed. And after that he fled into the wilderness. And now God is calling him to go back to Egypt where he committed his crime and confront the leader who has enslaved his people. Moses is chosen as God's spokesperson and he's not good at public speaking. Not good at public speaking. I have a quote from the conversation between God and Moses 
about God's call on Moses to be his spokesperson. But Moses said, No, Lord, don't send me. I have never been a good speaker, and I haven't become one since you began to speak to me. I like that part. <laughs> and we're having this wonderful experience. <laughs> the bush and the fire, and I still can't talk. I'm a poor speaker, slow and hesitant. The Lord said to him, Who gives man his mouth? It is I, the Lord. Now go. I will help you to speak. And I will tell you what to say. Was there a real threat? Absolutely. Were Moses' resources within himself adequate to the task? Absolutely not. So what does God say? Go. Because I will be with you. Moses did not deliver Israel from Egypt. God delivered Israel from Egypt. And he chose Moses not for his strengths. Not for his strengths. Okay? Joshua sent into the land, promised to Abraham and his descendants, encountered many hostile people. I was typing out the names of all the hostile people groups, and they're difficult to pronounce, so I hit delete. <laughs> One last thing to fear. Joshua encountered many hostile people who, according to ancient history, practiced idol worship, which included human sacrifice, and cannibalism. And that's from the wisdom literature found in the Greek Septuagint Bible, written around 3rd, 2nd century BC. A book I'm referring to specifically is called The Wisdom of Solomon, chapters, chapter 12. So go, I'm sending you into this land populated by people who worship idols and sacrifice humans. Who's up for that? I'm scared of public speaking. Okay? Cannibalism is beyond my imagination. Beyond my imagination. But what does God say to Joshua? I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will always be with you. I will never abandon you. Be determined and confident. You will be the leader of these people as they occupy this land which I promised to their ancestors. That's God speaking to Joshua recorded for us in Joshua chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Were Joshua's resources in himself up to the task of entering Canaan and laying hold of the promise that God had given to Abraham and his descendants? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Joshua did not claim the promised land in his own strength. God did it. God did it. Jericho, walls, and that was the first thing that, Jer that Joshua had to face. How did the walls come down? 
Joshua raised a mighty army. They formed their artillery lines and barraged the gate and it fell. Everybody's looking at me like I've lost my mind. That's not what happened. There was no artillery barrage. They walked around the city, blew a horn, and shouted. Yeah? And the walls fell. That's not normal. (laughs) That's not normal. That's the power of God. That's the power of God. That's God honoring his promise to his people. And when Joshua and the people of Israel walked around Jericho, that was their act of faith. They were placing their faith in God and God's promises and God's power to accomplish what he had said he would do. And he did it. He did it. So Moses was afraid. Joshua, God spoke to him so that he would not be afraid. Jesus, people say, oh, Jesus couldn't have been afraid. Jesus was God. And the Word was God. The Word is God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word is Jesus. But the Bible is also very clear to us that Jesus became a human being so that he could identify with our struggles, so that he could identify with our weaknesses. Becoming a human being, we're frail in ways. Okay? Jesus was facing imminent betrayal. I'm thinking of his time in the garden. He was facing abandonment. His disciples were about to desert him. Even Peter, who claimed he never would do such a thing, Jesus prophesied that he would deny him three times. And of course, those of us who know the story know Peter did deny Jesus. He was facing false accusations. He was about to face torture, humiliation, and death. How did Jesus feel? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, he says to the disciples, and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's the account of Jesus' prayer, Matthew chapter 26. In the Gospel of Luke, we read a similar account. Jesus withdrew a stone's throw beyond the disciples, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, I'm going to focus on that word a bit, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Luke chapter 22. Being in anguish, Greek scholars, agonia, what does that mean? According to Strong's Concordance, it means 
great fear. Terror, as though you're afraid of death. Anxiety, agony. Jesus felt anguish, great fear, terror, anxiety, agony. And what did he do? What did he do? He prayed more earnestly. He prayed more earnestly. And what did God do? His father. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Sometimes we read the Psalms, I think. We sing the Psalms. And we like to get to the end of the Psalms because they are often filled with words of comfort, words of encouragement, words of assurance that God hears us, that he sees us, that he loves us, that he's with us, and that he answers. It's often the case, however, that those very Psalms begin with words like this. Where are you, God? Jesus' words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting David. My God, where are you? My soul is troubled to the point of death. My enemies surround me. I don't see a way out. Often that's how the saints of old would begin their prayers. It's how Jesus began his prayer in the garden. Father, if it be your will, may this cup pass from me. I'm in agony. And then we read God's answer. God is not embarrassed by our fears. God is not embarrassed by our anxieties. God does not look upon those of us who have fear and see stigma. That comes from our culture that says we must pretend to be something we are not, which is perfect in our own strength. Okay? God doesn't see us that way. Moses, Joshua, Jesus all had a conversation with God about their fears. Expressing our feelings verbally to someone who cares can already begin to make a difference. The best person I can think of to express our concerns to, of course, is God. It's also nice to have brothers and sisters, friends, family, to be able to share our hearts with and be loved be understood, receive comfort, receive encouragement. And all good things ultimately come from God. When Jesus and Moses expressed their feelings to God, God met them at the point of their need. You see, Moses, don't send me. I can't do this. And God speaks. You can do this because I will be with you. Jesus, I'm in agony. 
I'm in agony. If this cup could pass from me, Father, please take it. Prayed that three times. And his father sent him an angel to encourage him, to strengthen him, so that he could fulfill his mission. In Joshua's case, it seems that God initiated the conversation. I don't, I don't know if Joshua prayed in advance. You know, the book of Joshua starts with God's answer. They were all reminded that they did not have to face their situation alone. Each of them was reminded of the help that comes from God. Here's one of those psalms I was making reference to. I look to the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help will come from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's able to help. He made heaven and earth. He's able to help. He's love. He's willing to help. Okay? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter says in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 7, rather than taking responsibility for things beyond our control, we're encouraged to entrust ourselves and others to God. Imagine if Moses said to himself, I will defy Pharaoh, I will set Israel free. Maybe he was thinking something like that when he killed the Egyptian. I, I don't know. It didn't work out. There's no way Moses, a human being, a mere mortal, one person, could deliver an entire civilization one from another and they'd been in Egypt for 400 years there's no way he could do it he had to entrust the situation to God God had promised deliverance and Moses needed to place his faith in God rather than attempting to bury or deny our fears we're encouraged to bring them to God in prayer when you pray Jesus taught go to your room close the door pray to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what you do in private will reward you the same chapter Jesus talks about worry that we needn't worry okay initially we will have fears we bring them to God we meet with God we remember his promises, his assurance, his presence. And then we need fear no longer. Okay? We need fear no longer. It's as though the initial fear that grips us is temptation. Okay? The initial fear that grips us is temptation. And it wants us to stay there. It wants to take us captive. But we need not yield. We need not yield. Do not start worrying. Where will my food come from? Or my drink? Or my clothes? These are the things the pagans are always concerned about. Your Father in Heaven knows that you need all of these things. Said Jesus, instead be concerned above everything else with the kingdom of God and with what He requires of you and He will provide you with all these other things. 
So do not worry about tomorrow. It will have enough worries of its own. There is no need to add to the troubles that each day brings. And we find that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. In case anyone's wondering what translation I'm using, I'm flipping back and forth between the New International Version and the Good News translation. No need to add to the troubles each day brings. Another principle for us in dealing with anxiety. It's from this passage that Alcoholics Anonymous and so many other self-help groups that use a 12-step type of model get the idea or the slogan, one day at a time. One day at a time. Self-help groups also look to the following passage in the Gospel of Mark for insight. I'm just going to paraphrase it. It talks about people who have faith, but their faith is choked by the cares and the worries of this world. And not only the cares and the worries of this world, but also the love for riches and other kinds of desires and some translations say pleasures. Self-help groups like Alcoholics Anonymous make reference to these two passages because these two things go together. It's often the case that when we're trapped by fear, trapped by worry, trapped by anxiety, we seek to gain control of our environment through riches. Okay? So that can go together. And then we go back to last week's message where we have an unhealthy dependency on something other than God. I'm afraid. What will protect me? Money. But that's not true. That's not true. Money, as useful as it is, especially if you're going out for lunch, is a poor substitute for God. It's a poor substitute for God. Other pleasures, other desires, distractions, mood-altering experiences, obsessions, compulsions. Yeah? We run to these things, trying to get away from our fears. But we're not getting away from our fears. We're pretending, pretending, that we don't have them. God doesn't want us to pretend. He already knows what we fear. He's waiting for us to acknowledge it. He's waiting for us to bring our fears to Him so that He can meet us, so that He can be our God. Summary, what to do with real needs, real threats. I think this is going to be on podcast too, so if people want to Listen to it again at some point. I hope this is a helpful bullet point summary. We can cast our cares upon God. We can trust that as we follow God, we never face life's challenges alone. We can be concerned above all else with God's kingdom, knowing and sharing the love of God. Moth and rust cannot touch the treasures that are stored up in God's kingdom, knowing and sharing the love of God that we'll know for eternity. This is a priceless treasure bought for us with Jesus' life. 
something that can never be taken from us. Okay? We don't have to worry that somebody's going to break in and steal our salvation. It doesn't work that way. Trust that God knows and cares for our needs. Avoid taking responsibility for things that are beyond our control. I find that incredibly helpful, though I need to be reminded of it by the Spirit frequently. And take things one manageable step at a time. Okay, so just some practical things for real concerns, real anxieties, real fears. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk about those fears that we carry around inside of us that are not connected necessarily to real and present threats in our environment. I'm quoting again from the Septuagint. I'm such a nerd when it comes to ancient literature. I read the strangest things. (laughs) And I try to read them first in their original languages, which keeps me very busy mentally. Uh, And then, of course, I look for helpful English translations. Um, This, again, is from the Septuagint uh, Bible that was quoted most frequently, by the way, uh, of all the ancient texts quoted by the apostles. The Septuagint version of the Old Testament scriptures happened to be quoted most. That's what got me interested in this piece of literature to begin with. This is about people who are terrified when there is no need for terror. In their panic, they thought their lives more unbearable than even the sight conjured up by their own imaginations. Oops, spelling mistake. Uh, Tim was talking about looking for spelling mistakes. There's one. They would fall down wherever they were and would be bound by that prison that has no bars. Fear. The whispering breeze, the sweet song of birds in the spreading branches, the constant babble of running water, the headlong crash of falling rocks, the noise of animals running away unseen, the roar of untamed beasts, or the echo reverberating from the valleys between the hills. All these things caused them to fall down in fear. The people in the passage that I'm referring to had seen frightening things. Okay? Had seen frightening things. So, their past experiences are powerfully influencing how they experience the world around them right now. The sweet song of birds struck terror. The whispering breeze, okay? The roar of untamed animals. I don't know, maybe that is a real fear. <laughs> I don't know. These, this particular group of people also happen to have a guilty conscience for some of their activities and they were expecting God's judgment. So there's two things working against them. They had seen fearful things. They had bad experiences in their past and they were carrying guilt for real sin and expecting God's judgment. And as a result of their past experiences and these unresolved issues, this unresolved guilt, they now perceived even the slightest movement or sound as a, as a sign of impending doom. Again, 
It's important not to avoid, bury, or indefinitely distract ourselves from such fears. Again, we need to go to God with them in prayer and be met by the Holy Spirit, God's counselor, God's comforter, God's spirit of truth. If we are troubled by guilt and the fear of punishment, we sang about it today, the Spirit can remind us there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. Okay? For the law of the Spirit, which brings us life in union with Christ Jesus, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Who shares in the union, uh, in, the un- in union with Jesus Christ? It is everyone who has faith that God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And that he died on the cross, that he rose again. When we have this faith, we're united with Jesus, Paul tells us. We share in his death. There's no punishment for us. We're already dead in Christ. There's no more punishment. Okay? Imagine sentencing a dead person to the death penalty. We've been crucified with Christ. Okay? But we don't stay dead because of the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. We're united with Christ. Now we're free from our old master, sin. We're free from the consequence of living in sin, which is death. Now we're free to know the love of God. We're free to walk with God, a holy and perfect loving God. We're free to be transformed by the Spirit of God who comes to live in our hearts. It's amazing. This is what Paul's talking about. This is what Paul's talking about. No condemnation. But what if our perceptions from the present are distorted from just bad memories? Bad memories. Anybody else here have bad memories? (laughs) I've got bad memories. When we bring those things to God, His Spirit can also help us remember that what we see in the present may just be a reminder of what happened to us in the past. It may remind us of something frightening, but the past is not happening right now. It's over. We're no longer facing the same threat. As Sheridan, I think, one of the, the first time we were invited to speak, the first Sunday, I'm a survivor of child abuse. Okay? My father was a very angry man. And he gave me permission to share this. Bless, bless you for that. And he expressed his anger through violence against small children. It was a very frightening thing was a very frightening thing okay if I did the slightest thing wrong or if my father even imagined I had done the slightest thing wrong there could be an episode of violence okay so I wake up every morning wondering if I might make a mistake 
Oh God, help me not to make a mistake today. Please, Lord, don't let me say, do, think, feel anything wrong. Really? My son, why are you so scared that you might think, say, do, or feel something wrong? Because if I make a mistake, all heck is going to break loose. I might be hurt. The people around me might be hurt. And I tell you, the presence and the love of God is so powerful when I'm that honest with myself and with God. It overwhelms me. Snow, my son. You do not need to be perfect so that all heck won't break loose. I love you. You're just human. Come to me as you are. I'll help you do the things I have called you to do, but you'll do them from love. You'll do them from love because you know that I love you and my love will be with you and my love will be in you and my spirit will enable you to share my love. My son, you need not fear. God speaks to us when we bring our fears to him even if they don't make sense. Even if they don't make sense. Okay? I'm just going to paraphrase the last story that I have here because I, I know we're just about out of time. The disciples, small boat, large waves, plenty of wind. They're nervous. They look out across the waves. I think that the Bible says between three and six in the morning. Okay? I think that means it was dark. <laughs> Large waves, strong wind, darkness. And across the water is a figure walking towards them. And the Bible says they were thankful that they saw Jesus. It says they screamed in terror. <laughs> I just wish I could see some of these things. <laughs> you know? They screamed in terror. Okay? Was there a real threat? Yes. Waves, wind, darkness. Was there merely a perceived threat? Yes. They said to Jesus, we thought you were a ghost. Yeah? Coming to torment us before we drown. <laughs> okay? What does Jesus say? Take courage, fear not. It is I. That's the answer to fear. Take courage. Fear not. It is I. I am with you. Okay? And so, I, I am going to close in prayer. Um, if people do, I know some people need to go. Uh, if, you, if you can go and come back for prayer and you want to do that, that's fine. If others just want to come to the front and pray. Um, I'd be happy to pray with anyone about fear. I have a lot of experience. 
praying about fear. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of your love, of your presence, of your power. Thank you. You encourage us to cast our fears upon you. And you meet us there. We don't always know how you're going to do that. But that's because your plans for us are so great and wonderful that we can't always imagine how you will respond. But God, we know that you will. You hear us. You love us. You meet us. You answer us. Help us, Lord, to cast our fears upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.